0: You may be seated in his presence. Amen. Well, I love this worship team. I love this day. I know some of you are cold because you forgot to put on that extra layer this morning. And if you need to move your chairs into the sun, we charge a little bit more for chairs in the sun. You guys are paying a little extra over there. But you're not quite, you can move that out if you want. But if you need to go get somewhere warmer, please feel free. But stay in sight here. Stay in sight because that encourages me. We just sang lyrics that i might stand with more reasons to sing than to fear well this is a special sunday that gives us an opportunity for all that there are two reasons really there you go behind the behind the barrier we're a very informal church you can just pick up your chair and move it feel free but there are two reasons to stand and sing without fear this morning amen i'm going to tell you about those a minute but i want to pray uh and uh release our worship team uh, so let's pray together and take a moment of silence to just reflect on what God has done in your life, His faithfulness, His ultimate triumph, and even His sympathy, which we'll talk about a little later. Just reflect for a moment on all that God has done and all the ways God loves you. Just as you pray, open your eyes and look around the city of Baltimore to your right and to your left, and just lift up the city today. All our sisters and brothers around the city who are worshiping today, lifting up this city. A gorgeous city with trouble in its midst. We're going to talk about that today, too. Father, we thank you in the name of your Son, for your presence here. You are not a distant God. You are right here with us. Uh, you love us uh, so deeply that you sent your Son to die for us so that we might sit at your table as your children. There is no words to thank you for that, but we thank you. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Amen. Thanks, worship team. And uh, we miss Paula today. We miss Corey today, but they are out on a rest, and uh, Corey on sabbatical. and. Uh, I just love what this worship team is able to do uh, week in and week out as they lift up the message. They're aware of the, you know, they, they're aware of the themes that we're preaching and the, the texts that we're preaching, and they match the music to that. So in so many ways, what you sang this morning is what we are talking about here uh, today. Well, like I said, we have two reasons to both celebrate uh, and sing without fear today. Two reasons. Father's Day is one reason. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out here. And I love what Jermon said about, about fathers. Father is, a, is, is more a spirit and a presence than anything else. But Father's Day church celebrates the priceless value and the heavy lift uh, of fatherhood in the noble development of future generations, right? That's, that's, uh, uh, that's what Father's Day is celebrating. Father's Day can also be a trigger for some whose relationship with their father uh, was traumatic or toxic or or divisive and still distant, and I understand that, and we lift you up today as well. And then Juneteenth today, Juneteenth, let's hear it for Juneteenth, and this is a a different way that we are coming around celebration today, and I'm going to talk about it quite a bit, but Juneteenth honors the emancipation of the enslaved ancestors of black Americans who, who passed on enduring strength. Uh, from past generations under the most horrendous conditions. And there's triggers in that as well, lots of triggers around us today. So the spirit of prayer goes around all of us today as we celebrate these two holidays. Father's Day is a readily accessible event for all. And those who made Juneteenth what it is would perhaps say to those who look like me today that this day, Juneteenth, is not so much an event, but rather an invitation an invitation to celebrate freedom and equality for all, not only in our laws, Grace City, but in the hearts and minds of one another. Somebody say amen to that. That's what we're celebrating. The Apostle Paul instructed the church in Rome to, quote, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's in Romans 12. And Juneteenth Juneteenth provides a unique national moment to do both of those things, to rejoice and to mourn. I would say that black people celebrate this holiday on their own terms, and all of us may rejoice with those who rejoice because freedom is a good gift from God that honors the image-bearing nature of humanity, the image we get from God. At the same time, as we get into our text this morning, we can mourn with those who mourn and grasp the opportunity to reflect on the tragedy of American slavery that ensnared millions and denied the dignity and worth of untold numbers of fellow human beings who perished under the oppression of the institution of slavery. Now, this is a holiday with built-in tension and, and profoundly reflected in our text this morning, which is Psalm 22. And I want to encourage all of you to open Psalm 22 in your Bibles. Open them at home. Open your Bibles here uh, in church. Open your phones with your Bible uh, apps. Uh, And have Psalm 22. It's a lengthy psalm. I'm not going to read through it in its entirety, but we will be referring to it over and over again. Here's why this reflects our dual holiday today so well. Psalm 22, church, speaks of suffering and hope. It speaks of torture and relief. It speaks of of suffering from virtually every angle, Yvonne. and, And within the theme of our summer song series... I'm going to work this morning from the title I Can't Get Next to You. Now, who remembers that song from the Temptations? Anybody remember? Everybody who's my age is going to remember. There's about six hands that just went up that remember this song. But I encourage you to listen to it on one of your streaming apps when you get home today. Can't get next to you is a song. Uh, from 1969 when I was a freshman in high school. I know that dates me Uh, in 1969 from The Temptations. This song, Jamon, loomed large in my high school years because of its aching lyric. It had phenomenal musicality. The four parts that The Temptations would sing throughout this song are phenomenal. And I would sing along with all four parts in all four voices to anyone who would listen because I'm an extrovert and I just thought I was good. But this song spoke of suffering on a relational level that still speaks to the teen years. But there's something even more important in the title uh, this day that resounds in our biblical text in Psalm 22 that you have in front of you. And it resounds in our human experience. The song features a repeated lament, Marjorie. Do you know this song, Marjorie? You you do know this song. That's great. It, It features this repeated lament. I can do this. And I can do this. I can fly like a bird in the sky. I can buy anything that money can buy. I can do everything, but I can't get next to you. And at the end, it repeats that. I can't get it. I can't get it. I can't get it. And this, this theme echoes, uh, uh, for some, the trigger of fatherhood today, the father journey for some, and it echoes loudly uh, behind the scenes of today's Juneteenth celebration. I can't get it can't get next to you. It's a lament that's still worthy. Church, as much as Juneteenth represents freedom, it also represents how emancipation was tragically delayed for the enslaved people in the deepest reaches of our country. And I cannot overstate how important it is that we as the people of God learn our history if we are to be effective agents of peace going forward. We need to learn what it is that has gone on before we arrived on this planet. Have I said that I can't overstate it? Let me say it again. We need Tolu to learn our history if we're going to be effective agents of peace. Here's some of the timeline that goes with Juneteenth. And I want to phrase this in what Eddie Glaude Jr. is now writing in his Begin Again book and his podcast, this idea of one step forward, two steps back. That's a theme we all know from many things in life. matter of fact, I was on my way to church this morning, driving up uh, the road, and all in a row, within a few miles of each other, I had my low gas low gas light came on, my uh, tire pressure light came on about a mile later, and then my check oil Check oil level light came on and I'm thinking, well, happy Father's Day to you. And I'm following this, this Jeep with a, uh, uh, the spare tire on the back and there's a grinning skull grinning at me as I follow this Jeep on the tire cover and I'm thinking, happy Father's Day, here we go. Those are the minor things that, that dog our steps in life, right? Today we're going to talk about major things that not only affect us as individuals but have, have traumatized and toxified our community. As much as Juneteenth represents freedom, it represents a tragic delay. Here's here's some of the timeline that I want you to understand when it comes to our history. Here's here's the good news. On January 1st, 1863, President Lincoln issued the final draft of the Emancipation Proclamation. Somebody say, that's good news. And it declared that all persons held as slaves are and henceforth shall be free. But here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. That decree... um, was ignored by the Confederacy, of course. And did you know this? It exempted union loyal border states of Delaware, Missouri, Kentucky, and our own Maryland. It exempted them, allowed them to hold their slaves because these states held Confederate sympathies and they could have seceded. So they were exempted from the Emancipation Proclamation right here in Maryland. Bad news, somebody say bad news. Here's some good news. A year later, in 1864, the Senate attempted to close the loophole by passing the 13th Amendment, prohibiting slavery in all the states. Somebody say, that's good news. Here's the bad news. The amendment wouldn't be ratified until eight months after the war ended, so it took nearly two, full, two more full years for emancipation to, to materialize legally. Here's some good news. Two and a half years after President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865, enslaved people in Texas, 250,000 enslaved people who had been denied the news of emancipation for two years, that final stronghold of slavery, these 250,000 people finally learned that they were free. Somebody say, that's good news. That's the celebration of Juneteenth. Here's some bad news. One step forward, two steps back. Freedom wasn't automatic for these 250,000 people. On plantations, masters could decide when and where and how to announce the news, and they delayed it, and they delayed it, and they delayed it, at least until after the harvest so they could keep their slaves in the fields. Somebody say, that's bad news. Listen, this one step forward, two steps, two steps back is, is part of our legacy, part of our history that we need to know. Emancipation, came way too slowly for enslaved people. And today, still, we remain as a culture grafted into the legacy of slavery, which displays a phenomenally powerful resistance to a slow roll, I would say, to the full embrace of people of color. And though it's been finally abolished as an institution, slavery has evolved over and over again through the decades into more subtle, powerful expressions that continue to keep us stuck One step forward and two steps back, and this is where the church is called to to wake up our country and our world. So when the the songwriter says, I can't get it, I can't get it, this is a lament that has followed the the community of people of color around, the, the legacy of enslaved Americans around for centuries. I can't seem to get it. Now, listen, Grace City, we see in Psalm 22 that you have in, in front of you that the Bible, you're going to see this in this psalm. It's a difficult psalm. You're going to see that the Bible is essentially a practical and devastatingly honest book. The Old Testament is honest be, to err to, 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 to almost. It is indeed, the Bible is indeed a unique revelation of God's mind and will, but it does not claim to solve all mysteries. Did you know that? There are many references in the Bible to suffering, and to evil, it is full of evil people who prosper. It is full of good people who suffer. But the Bible's purpose in navigating these themes is not to to clarify the, the substance of evil or, or the meaning of suffering. It is to call us to overcome evil, to call us to endure suffering and to call us to come alongside those who are suffering. And perhaps that's the most important one is to come alongside those who are suffering. Psalm 22 describes the terrible suffering as it begins of an innocent victim. And these images will conjure up for you as you read this today, it will conjure up the sufferings of enslaved people throughout history. For instance, here we see first his physical sufferings. Look at verse 14 and 15 in your in your in your text. Verses 14 and 15. There it is. And thanks Bob Boyer for getting this up on this screen. That's cool. First time here outside. That's cool. Verse 14 he's the, the psalmist says he feels as if he's been turned into liquid. I'm poured out like water. His bones are out of joint. His heart has turned to wax. It's melted within him. He's dehydrated. He, he says he's already in the dust of death. Later on in this psalm, he speaks of torture where some have pierced his hands and pierced his feet. And church, while his physical suffering is is horrific, his mental suffering is worse. Look back to verses six and seven. He is despised for his circumstances. He is mocked for his faith. Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since they, he delights in him. He's being mocked. And then worse even, Jamon, than his mental suffering and his physical suffering is his spiritual anguish. Look back to the very first two verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, have, why are you so far from my cries, my God, my God, I cry out by day, day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Do you feel the anguish inside? So we see that the pain physically and the ridicule mentally was bad enough. But how can he bear this ordeal of being separate from God? I can't get next to you. He's saying, what is going on? And the psalm? It gives no neat answer. I love seeing people all over in the sun and the shade. It's so cool. There's no neat answer here, but stay with it. It does bring to the people of God, this psalm brings to the people of God, a threefold assurance to which I invite your attention this morning. And first we see in this psalm an assurance of the faithfulness of God, an assurance of the faithfulness of God. And I will say this, in the, in the songbook of black spirituals, from, from the era of slavery, these would be known as freedom songs that celebrate the faithfulness of God. And we're going to talk some about, about these songs today, but these are the freedom songs that celebrate faithfulness, so stay with me on this. Grace said, we need this assurance desperately if we are to thrive on this side of heaven, the assurance of God's faithfulness. So you see, in the very midst of his sufferings in the psalm, although he feels as if he's been forsaken, his faith asserts itself against his feelings. Let me say that again. His faith asserts itself against his feelings. The feelings are real, but the faith is powerful. And his faith lays hold of the faithfulness of God. At first sight when you read this, and we just read it, the opening verses of this Psalm appear to be a cry of unrelieved despair, don't they? My God, why have you forsaken me? It's just awful. But as we listen more carefully to the psalmist, it's quite evident That he simply cannot believe the quote witness of his own feelings. Close quote. Whoa. Okay, we'll just leave that. We'll leave that there. It'll be fine. (laughs) Just leave it there, Bob. It's all right. (laughs) It's just all right. I love meeting outdoors, but it has its it has its issues. So stay with me here. Stay with me online. The opening verses of the psalm appear to be this cry of unrelieved despair, but as we listen more carefully, you know, it might just happen again. So, <laughs> Listen more carefully to the psalmist. It's quite evident he can't believe what's going on, so his faith rises up in rebellion against his own feelings. Have you ever had that experience where your faith is fighting your feelings? So in the very act of asserting that he has been forsaken by God, He actually denies it. First of all, this way, he cries out three times in these first two verses, doesn't he? My God, my God, my God. And as one commentator puts it, it is the union of total deprivation alongside total loyalty to God. Can you put those two things together? Have you ever felt that way? And so we see this psalm is constructed in order to feature the paradox that defines the experience of God's people. As a matter of fact, each paragraph that describes his affliction is followed by another paragraph that asserts, affirms God's faithfulness. Here it is. Just after the first two verses, take a look in your Bibles. Just after the first two verses that describe his abandonment, he says in verse 3, and yet, and yet, it turns it around. And yet you are holy, he says. You are the only true God enthroned on the praises of Israel, active in the redemption of Israel. Our fathers, the psalmist says, trusted in you and you delivered them. And this is not at all unlike enslaved people in America that held this paradox really close as well. From captivity, their songs of freedom feature the faithfulness of God. You might remember a song called Wade in the Water. I remember singing this as a teenager in, in gospel meetings, uh, Wade in the water. And it, it has verses, Jermon, like, who, who, who's that dressed in white? Must be the children of the Israelites. Who's that dressed in red? Must be the people that Moses led. They're remembering the faithfulness of God. And then they're saying in the chorus, Wade in the water. God's going to trouble the water. And why would slaves sing about wading in the water? It's because that's how they escape. They go into the water to avoid the bloodhounds. God's troubling the water, but they're remembering the faithfulness of God. And so does this psalmist, and so ought we when we're in trouble. Wade in the water, God's going to trouble the water. And then look as the cycle comes around again in verses 6 and 8. He returns to his sufferings. He says, "But and this is personal now, but I am a worm. I'm scorned by everyone. I'm despised by people, mocked and ridiculed. But watch verse 9. And yet, and yet. You see, and you brought me out of the womb. It's to you that I owe my life. All my life, you have been my God. Don't miss that phrase, Grace City, again. My God. In the midst of trouble, you are my God. And then for the third time, the cycle repeats again. Um, Verse 12, he speaks of his enemies. Verse 14, of his grotesque symptoms. But then, verse 19, he says, and yet. But, but, but you, Lord, you're not far from me. You are my strength. All this is happening, I can do all this, all this is happening, but you are my God. In the midst of terrible suffering, church, this is the God of whom he can say, he is my God. This God, for real, will never forsake me. He will never fail me. I will wade in the water because he is in the water. So first, we find the assurance of the faithfulness of God. And secondly, we see the assurance of the triumph of God in eternity. Psalm 22 begins with a cry of anguish. It ends with a song of praise. It begins with feelings of God forsakenness. It ends with a triumph of deliverance. And this is further assurance that reinforces the follower of Christ, all of you, all of me, uh, that re- reinforces that in suffering, all of us in suffering. Namely this, however, the dar- however dark the night may be, the dawn is sure to break. Disease and death Injustice and discrimination, even slavery and torture will not have the last word. Church followers of Christ believe in the resurrection of the body. Did you know that? We will be transformed and transfigured into new and glorious vehicles of the human spirit. And pain and suffering will be no more. God will wipe the tears from all of our eyes. And the New Testament church rings with this assurance. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. I consider, listen to this now, and imagine this verse for, for enslaved Americans and as well as the troubles that you and I find ourselves in. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So listen to these songs. These would be the Jubilee songs of enslaved Americans. These would be songs like Roll Jordan, Roll, which says, My soul will arise in heaven, Lord. Or he's got the whole world in his hands. It's that triumph that God has this in the end. So church, from our deepest trouble, even from captivity, we find assurance of the faithfulness of God. We find assurance of the triumph of God. But lastly, I want to close with this. We find assurance of the sympathy of God, the sympathy of God, and these would be reflected in the sorrow songs of black spirituals in the era of slavery. Sorrow songs. Now, I'm using sympathy on purpose. It's not a word that's very popular today. We like empathy better. We like compassion better, but I'm doing this on purpose because it's a far better uh, capture of what's going on here in this song. Empathy Empathy involves putting yourself into another person's shoes And understanding and trying to understand why they have the particular feelings that they have. It's a good skill. You should grow. I should grow my capacity to empathize. But Grace City, we have a God that suffers with us. He he doesn't have to try to put himself in his shoes. He was in our shoes, which is the meaning of sympathy. Sympathy involves understanding because you've been there. Somebody says, you've been there. That's the God of sympathy. He's been there. Now, in captivity, enslaved people uh, depended on and trusted the sympathy of God. And you hear it in such songs, Angie, as sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost almost done or a song like nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And then it finishes this way. But glory, glory, hallelujah. I'm singing glory Glory, hallelujah, because God has been there before me through Christ. Grace City, here's why we can sing these songs today. Here's one glorious lesson we can learn on Juneteenth. No follower of Christ can read the psalm you have open in front of you at home and here in, in the BMI. You cannot read Psalm 22 solely in an Old Testament context, can you? It is saturated with New Testament light. This is where we find our sometimes, our almost, our and yet. This is where we find the glory, hallelujah, in the midst of suffering because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot help seeing this psalm fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, not only in his physical pain or the thirst and piercing of his hands and feet, but most of all, we find it in the spiritual anguish of his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are at least nine specific aspects of the crucifixion that are here detailed in minute detail. All of them were fulfilled during the six hours of which Jesus hung on the cross. And the latter part of the Psalm 22, it clearly depicts the resurrection of Christ. And listen, even knowing all this, Jesus' cry, Christ's cry still remains the most difficult of all the words from the cross, doesn't it? It's a tough saying. Grace city, Jesus quotes Psalm 22 for the same reason he quoted all Old Testament scripture. He believed that he had fulfilled it. He was the fulfillment of these prophecies. He did not believe that God had finally abandoned him because he knew that within hours he would be vindicated by resurrection from the dead. So he could still say, my God, my God. But it was a, it was a real cry. It was not imagined. God, a real cry of God forsakenness. And to understand it, I want to give us a little insight to understand it, that Psalm 22 at many points reflects the same vocabulary of Isaiah 53, which we know mostly from our celebrations of Christmas. Here it is, Isaiah 53, that Jesus also quotes time and time again, that he would bear the sin of many, that he would be wounded for our transgressions, that he would be bruised for our our iniquities. Church, somehow beyond our finite understanding, This bearing of the sin and the guilt of the world, that it plunged Jesus into a sense of God forsakenness. And it drew from his mouth, from his lips, the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands he's been there just like you have. Church, this Jesus that we follow, he he's not primarily the Jesus of the Bethlehem manger. He is that, but not primarily. He's not primarily the Jesus of the Nazareth workshop. He is that, but he's not primarily. He's not even the Jesus of the Galilean hillside sermonizing at the Sermon on the Mount. He is the Jesus that we follow is the Jesus of Calvary's cross. Because, Grace City, there is no authentic Christianity without the cross. Somebody say amen. I'll say it again. There is no authentic Christ following without the cross. There we see, at the cross, in its brightest light, the glory. We see the sympathetic love of Jesus, who has preceded us in suffering. Jesus hangs from a cross. His body is twisted. It's tortured. It's bloodstained, crying out in the God-forsaken darkness, bearing the sin and pain of humankind. And church, that's a God that I am grateful to be next to. So we don't have to say, I can't get next to you because of Jesus of the scars. That's the God I'm grateful to be next to, Jesus of the scars. Well, as the worship team comes up, I want to bring us back into the world of uh, enslaved Americans. Listen, enslaved people in the Antebellum, America's Antebellum South, they defined for us. This is why we can celebrate together today. They defined the dynamic power of the love of Christ and why it has the power to transform us. They sang another spiritual in those days from the midst of captivity that reads like this. There is a balm in Gilead, a balm, B-A-L-M, balm in Gilead, to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. If you can't preach like Peter or pray like Paul, just tell the love of Jesus that he died to save us all. Church, suffering of some kind is inevitable. Suffering is the universal lot and language of humankind. But what differentiates us in church this morning is simply our response to the fact that life is full of trouble. It's our response to suffering. You can try to escape it. You can lapse into bitterness. You can lapse into hatred and revenge. You can even seek to develop a stoical attitude. But the true mastery of suffering, Jaman, lies with those who even in the midst of their suffering can say, my God, my God, my God is a God who cares. That response gives voice to our message. Grace City, the voice of the ecclesia, the church, the called, that's what the word means. Ecclesia is the called, the called out. The voice of the church is powerful. Your voice is powerful. We are God's change agents as we stand next to him, next to him with assurance because of the love of Christ. So to my brothers and sisters who look like me here on Juneteenth, I issue that inescapable invitation of Juneteenth to join the fight against racism and division and extremism that would divide us. Join the fight. The church can provide the substance for what Jesus taught us to pray. Are you ready? On earth as it is. Say it again. On earth as it is. That's our job, is to bring about on earth with every breath what we will find in heaven. Michael Curry preached it this way, and I'll close with this. He says, just stop and think and imagine a world where Christ's love is the way. Can you imagine that? Just Close your eyes with me a minute. Imagine that. Imagine our homes and families when when this way of love is the way. Imagine our neighborhoods and communities when love is the way. Christ's love is the way. Imagine our governments and our nations when Christ's love is the way. When love is the way, we treat each other like we are actually family. We are sisters and brothers, children of God at the table of God, on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, that's a new heaven. That's a new earth. That's a new world. And that is the new human family we are called to create here on earth by God's grace. We're going to stand and sing, Good, Good, Father. Let me pray for us as we do, but let's stand up. And we're going to sing, Good, Good, Father. And that's an honor of Father's Day and it's honor in honor of Juneteenth as you sing these lyrics. Give thanks to that good, good Father. We can get next to Him. There's all kinds of things we can do, but we can get next to Him in the end. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your text. Thank You for the, the difficulty and the paradox of this, of this uh, word from Psalm 22, the suffering and the hope, the torture and the faithfulness. Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You for Your triumph in, uh, in eternity. And we thank you most of all for your son and his sympathetic love that he has been where we are. And he not only understands, he loves us through it and loves us enough to die for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.